When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown presented by Mass Live. I'm Chris Cotillo. Red Sox, as I say every week, are flailing. They are, I will say, officially out of it. Nine games back of the wild card race after losing the first two in Minnesota. Chris Smith, my partner in Mass Live, is going to join me today. We're going to talk about not really kind of the day-by-day stuff with the Red Sox anymore. I think we're past that point. But, you know, Heim Bloom and Alex Cora, according to Sam Kennedy via Ken Rosenthal, they're coming back next year. We'll get into that. And then most importantly, we're going to get into, you know, Jaron Duran opening up about the mental toll of this season has taken him, an article that was just posted on Mass Live this morning that, um, you know, really meant a lot to me to write. And I know, you know, it was a, it was a, a really a brave thing for Jaron to talk to me about. So um, a lot to get to. Let's get to it. I feel like we start off these conversations whenever we have them with uh, talking about the flailing Red Sox or the losing Red Sox or, you know, the struggles that they've had in the last week. And this week is no different. Uh, you know, it's funny. I think over the weekend when I was away and you were covering the, the series against the Rays, I texted you. They are, are, are the Red Sox good? Are they, are they coming back? And, and you reminded me, is a two, they're two and four on this homestead. Like they won those two games over the Rays over the weekend. And uh, all of a sudden I was thinking like, oh, that's a bright spot. And I just think that speaks to the type of year that they've had, you know, like Rich Hill striking out 11 on Saturday. That, you know, is cool for him. He's a great guy and all that. But like, that's one of the, you know, best uh, moments of the season for this team. I mean, really, at this point, is this, I, I'll use the old Johnny Miller adage, is this as bad as it gets? Yeah, it's as bad as it gets. Um, you know, I mean, they're not a good team. And, you, you know, they can win a couple games and make you feel like they're they're back, you know, that they're maybe back in it, beating Tampa Bay a couple of times. But ultimately, they're always going to come back to the same spot because their starting rotation is, I think, 25th in ERA amongst uh, their, their bullpen is 26th, I think. Um, they haven't hit home runs. All they've done is hit doubles. And, you know, basically they're, they're not a good team. Yeah. And we're seeing now, I think finally just kind of a realization of that, at least within the walls of Fenway, you know, waving the white flag. We saw Sunday night, a couple of moves. We don't really need to get too deep into those things. Uh, Hirokazu Sawamura gets DFA'd. Boston Davis gets DFA'd. You saw Zach Kelly, who's come up and pitched well in these two games in Minnesota. Caleb Ort come up. I'm sure moves more moves like that will happen. I want to talk about, you know, two more big picture things. We're going to talk a lot about Jaron Duran today, but um, I, I want to talk about the report that came out Monday night from Ken Rosenthal. Uh, you know, obviously one of the best of the best in the business. Talked to Sam Kennedy. Sam Kennedy assured Ken and assured the world 
that Bloom and Alex Cora would be returning to the Red Sox in 2022 in, or 2023. You know, when that news first broke, you know, I called you to make sure we had somebody writing it because uh, I was unavailable. Uh, we, you know, we both kind of agreed, like, is this, is this really that, that big of a news story? Is this really surprising? Um, and we'll get to our thoughts on that. Here's what uh, Sam Kennedy said to Ken. I'm very comfortable saying Hyman and Alex will be back. I'm very comfortable saying there's a strong belief in the direction of the franchise from our ownership group. That direction is continuing to build for the future, but also continuing to invest at the major league level. So I'll start with just my thoughts on it. Did I think either Alex Gore or Heim Bloom would be fired after this season? No. Do I think that the seat is starting to get warm for Bloom? Yes. I think like next year is a make or break year for him. I'm not saying if it goes badly, he's definitely out. Um, you know, obviously there's a big off season and he's got uh, a lot on his to-do list. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there's just a lot of, uh, obviously a, a lot at stake in 2023 and for Alex Cora, um, I mean, I think it's less about, you know, would they move on from him and, and more, how much longer does he want to do this? We can get into the, some of the semantics of that, but just in general, what was your reaction to, you know, Ken's report? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think that. Hein Bloom's on the hot seat just because you know you can't just give a guy that when you hire a guy to say you know he wants to rebuild the farm system and do the long-term approach of you know sustainability and stuff like that um, that you can just fire him after three years mm-hmm. however you know you do look at it and the you know the reason that they hired Heim was so that you know that they could have sustainability and that you know, there wouldn't be so, such, you know, peaks and valleys, right? Like, or, well, they want peaks, but not valleys. Um, and they ha- they're they going to, they're about to finish um, last second, t- the second time in three years. Yeah. And they also made it to the ALCS. So that's been a, a, that's like, you know, what we've seen, you know, for several years now with the Red Sox, you know, since what, 2012 is, mm-hmm. you know, last place seasons, first place seasons, last place seasons, first place seasons. And so um, has he changed any of that? I mean, he was handed a, no, he, he was handed a big payroll. Now are they, was, is the money, you know, I mean, you can talk about the money not being spent wisely, but you know, he was handed a team that had some really good players and he could have supplemented it and won now while also building for the future. He hasn't done that. Um, so I agree with you that the Cedars warming up and that it could, you know, be next year. He, he could face a lot of pressure. This is a big off season for him. He's got a lot of pending free agency he has the ability to spend money. And this is going to become his, you know, his group. If it isn't already, you know, player wise, I mean, it, mostly it is his group, but, um, <clears throat> with, with Cora, you know, I don't see like the fact of, him not uh, like being used to this like rebuild and type stuff for like is something that he wouldn't want to do. I mean, just because he came in his first um, experience was uh, you know, the Red Sox of 2018 that won 108 games. That doesn't mean that necessarily that, you know, this is what he he would want to do. I mean, obviously you don't want to have a rebuild, but it's not something that he would be not be enthusiastic about. I mean, he um, uh, he interviewed for several teams, right? That we're going to we're going to rebuild, right? His right. first time. 
think it was the Diamondbacks, right? Or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so he would have been open to that. So it's not like it's like, you know, I just, I don't know if he would care if it's just a couple of years here or a year or two of, you know, and then you get back into prolonged, you know, sustainable winning. I don't think that that would tire him out or, or he wouldn't want to do that. But, um, you know, the dynamic of between Bloom and, and, and Cora is interesting. And just because, um, you know, Sam Kennedy comes out and says that right now doesn't mean that in a month they could make a different decision of like what to do with the manager in the future. And so like, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think Bloom's going anywhere, but you know, things could change. I mean, just because he said it in the end of August doesn't mean that's going to hold true in October. Right. You know, I, I think that it's interesting that this came out, uh, you know, when it did, obviously they've been struggling, but I don't think that anybody, um, you know, should really have, um, you know, been expecting that, you know, Sam to have to come out and say this, you know, it's good reporting by Ken, you know, going to him and, and getting the definitive answer. Um, but I think, you know, rumors were starting to percolate in a few different places. And, um, you know, there's been this uh, question over the last, um, you know, couple, couple weeks of, uh, you know, could this possibly be happening? Could this possibly be happening? And, you know, if you think about the reason why something like this has to be written or has to be reported on, it's because of how, you know, hair trigger the Red Sox have been in the last few years, right? I mean, you were covering the team when Charrington got fired in the middle of the night or, or demoted and then walked for Dombrowski. And, you know, we were both there. Dave Dombrowski gets canned and basically again, the middle of the night at midnight after, you know, a Sunday night game against the Yankees. And, you know, they don't tend to, uh, you know, have a lot of patience here. And I don't know how that'll, you know, change as John Henry, Tom Warner get older. You know, I can only assume that it's going to be that they're less patient than they are now, which is, you know, hard to believe. Um, you know, the, the, the Heim core dynamic is interesting, you know, and I know this is something that, you know, both of those guys have been asked about and, you know, they um, have, you know, made different comments on and said, everything's fine. I think that, you know, there is always, always, always at least a little bit of tension behind or between a manager and uh, a GM or president of baseball operations or a chief baseball officer. I think those are just inherently part of the job, right? Like you're trying to win that night and you're not really focused on in Alex Cora's eyes, probably 2024, 2025. I'm Bloom has to think about both of those things. And I think that tension's even increased when the GM is not the guy that hired the manager in this case. I mean, he kind of is right. Like he did bring him back, um, but he's not the one that brought him into the organization. That was Dave Dombrowski. And I think, you know, time has revealed uh, that Alex Cora and Dave Dombrowski were really, really close, really, really tight. You know, Alex Cora always talks about Dave Dombrowski as a mentor, somebody who meant a lot to him. I didn't really, you know, get that, I guess, watching it play out in real time in 18 and 19, just because, you know, the age difference, the style difference, all that type of stuff. But, um, you know, it seemed like they were extremely close and it seems like, you know, with Haim, it's, it's, it's taken some time for, for them. You know, they've obviously been through a lot, you know, the original, you know, hire and then Cora leaving and then him having to convince Haim to come back and, you know, the meeting in the airport hangar, all that type of stuff. Um, but like I said, it, they're both in a tough spot in their relationship with each other because Cora is concerned about that night, that night's game and this week and, you know, the rest of the season and Heim has to have the longer view. Um, and that's probably not always easier for a manager to see. You know, Alex Cora has said time and time again, I don't want to be a guy who's manages for 20, 25 years. Um, 
You know, I don't think that means that any sense of trouble, he's going to up and leave, right? Like he, he, the fact the Red Sox gave him another chance means a lot to him. He's still very invested. Um, but there have been times this year, I think, where he has, and, and especially over the weekend, you were there, I wasn't. He has seemed, you know, defeated by the, the product out on the field. He has seemed like, you know, like, I, I can't believe it. this is the point we're at. And, um, you know, again, I don't think he's going to walk, but you just think about like, this has to be, you know, extremely frustrating for him, you know, on a couple of levels. One, you know, maybe the roster is not the roster that the coaching staff wants to have just because, you know, there's been holes all year. If you and I can talk about and tell the holes from the beginning, uh, you know, whether it be the bullpen or the outfield or whatever it is, you know, then probably, you know, other people in uniform can do that. And, and you know, we, obviously Alex Spear wrote the people in uniform are confused about the trade deadline. Uh, the other thing I would say there is, um, you know, there's probably frustration on his part that the message of the coaching staff is not getting through. And I think that that's a legitimate thing this year. We've seen the fundamentals time and time again, go by the wayside. We've seen guys, you know, offensively, you know, not doing what they've been preaching for years defensively. You know, I know it has been better than last year, but still lapses. I mean, Alex Verdugo last night in the outfield uh, uh, being, you know, uh, the most recent one on the bases, you know, not attacking the way they want on the mound. Like all these things don't seem to be getting through. I think, you know, there's blame that goes around here and, and there's going to be frustration. And, you know, I think after the season, it'll be a good time for everybody to kind of sit back and think like, all right, you know, what do we, you know, this is now make or break, you know, the honeymoon and for, for everybody's over. Um, and what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I think you said, it, you said it well, <laughs> how do you want me to respond to that? I mean, like, you know, I just, I guess, um, you know, like, I guess they're going to go into the off season and there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. You know, I mean, it's going to be a tough job for, for bloom. And, you know, I think that Cora has f seemed defeated a little bit, but he's also, it seems like there's a little bit of a resignation right now that, mm -hmm. um, you know, that they, they are too far out and that, you know, they're playing for, you know, just to see <laughs> what the, you know, how certain players can, you know, perform next year and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, if I was Heim right now, I would DFA Ryan Brazier. I would, uh, you know, bring up some of the younger guys. I mean, like, look, like Frank German, like he's, you know, a guy that's performed well at Worcester, you know, bring him up. We just saw what Zach Kelly is capable of doing. His stuff looks good. He throws strikes and, you know, he's had two scoreless innings so far and yep. they waited too long to bring him up. Um, so, you know, bring, bring German up. Uh, you know, think about Casas, uh, you know, there's, di there's, uh, you know, there's, there's different things you can do here. And um, I think that they need to look ahead to the next year. And, you know, I, I mean, I just, I, I could see, you know, it's not as much defeated with, uh, with, with Cora anymore. It's just kind of, you know, just feeling that, you know, the season's over and, or, you know, that he knows he can't do it. They can't, you know, get there. Yeah. And as we record this Wednesday morning, nine games back after, you know, losing the last three. And, and we've all you know, talked about and written about this stretch of how important it is. You go and play Baltimore, play Toronto, Tampa, Minnesota. And like they just have been, you know, spinning their wheels would be generous. Obviously, they have been losing a lot more than they've been winning. I was going to ask you, you skipped ahead on me, but I was going to ask you about some of the guys you want to see from Worcester come up. You know, obviously, Zach Kelly has been a guy who has come up and, uh, you know, pitched well in these two outings here. Uh, Frank German's a guy I know you've written about recently that people expect to come up. 
you know, there's a couple, you know, other guys. We've seen Edouard Bizardo, one of the it's a Smitty favorite in the past. He's been up. Um, you know, there Brian Mata, a guy that just got promoted to Worcester on the comeback trail from Tommy John. You know, the outing last night was a little uneven. Um, Andrew Politi. Um, you know, maybe you you see a little bit more from Connor Siebold or Connor Wong. I mean, obviously Casas is the big one. I mean, there's a lot of guys down there that uh, you kind of should probably start getting a look at. Um, like, the, the, what do you need to see from, you know, Austin Davis and Hirokazu Sawamura anymore? They obviously agreed with that. You know, those guys aren't getting the job done. We've seen them now for, in Sawamura's case, two years, in Davis's case, a year and a half. And I think, like you said, they should be at the, that point with Brazier, who's ERA after giving up that grand slam last night is bordering on seven. I, I really don't understand why he's still with the team. So, um, you know, I toured 2023, I, I think is the biggest thing. Any of those other guys that really, you know, I know you're high on German, but any of those other guys that you want to see up? Well, it's interesting. And I don't know how you would play him because you've got, you know, Rich McGuire and you've got, you know, Kevin Ploiecki, but Connor Wong is an interesting guy. You know, you want to evaluate the catcher position going into next year. Who's your best you know, backup. Do you have a guy on in the system that could potentially be a starter? I think that they'll have to go outside the organization to get somebody to be the starter. I don't think you can, you know, rely on Reese McGuire or, or Connor Wong, but that's mm-hmm. Connor Wong right there is a guy that's, you know, he's hit, hit extremely well, especially lately at Worcester. I mean, he has, you know, 14 home runs, uh, 20 doubles. So he, he's, he has a 349 on base percentage. And so like you look at, you know, Connor Wong, it's like, you'd think that they want to get a, a look at him, um, you know, during the final month. <clears throat> Does that mean DFAing, you know, if they don't have Kevin Plowecki in their plans? I mean, you know, he's a, he's a clubhouse guy and, you know, he's, he's good with the pitching staff, but you have to look ahead. Um, you know, so it, it will be interesting to see what they do. Uh, but, you know, Wong's, Wong has looked really good at Worcester. And I'm not saying that he can be a starting catcher next year, but maybe he helps out as a backup catcher. And, you know, you need to see what he can do. Also, they, they're, they were giving, you know, they working him more out ground ball wise in Worcester before games and, you know, making him more versatile. Obviously he has that versatility. He's played second base and stuff in the past, but, you know, they're, they're focusing on that for versatility wise. So he's an interesting guy. I would look at him and yeah, definitely bizarro. Um, you know, the stuff looks good. And AJ, how do you say his last name? Politi. Yeah. Politi. Yeah. I mean, he throws hard. His stuff is good. He's been good since he got into the bullpen. So see what he can do. You know, I mean, you, there's definitely other guys on this roster that are like, you know, Davis and Salamora um, that you don't, don't need to see any more of. You know, other guys. Yeah. And yeah, even like, um, you know, Caleb Ward has had a lot of time here. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm surprised that German wasn't, you know, promoted over him. And yep. so, um, you know, there's, there's guys that are on the, uh, the roster that you could, you could take off and, and bring some of these guys up. I agree. Totally. But one guy who, you know, I said we'd get to, and we will now, who obviously did come up and was with the Red Sox for a, a long part of this season. We've talked about uh, a lot, uh, a lot on here, you know, a lot in writing, all that type of stuff is Jaron Duran. Uh, he comes up today uh, because not just because he was demoted to the minor leagues over the weekend, um, an option back down to the Woosocks, but because of a piece that I just ran on MassLive.com that to me, honestly, was a few things. I think 
one of the most uh, time-consuming, in a good way, uh, articles I've ever done, especially at Mass Live in four and a half years. Um, one of, I think, the most impactful um, and, and deepest that I've gone with a player. Um, Jaron Duran opens up on the mental toll of struggling in the majors, and, and the headline has a couple of quotes. I've been pretty low. A lot of fans want me out of here. So, you know, this this started as a conversation in the dugout about a week ago at Fenway where I just said, you know, what have you learned about yourself in 2022? And he said, I've learned, you know, some things on the physical side. I've learned some things on the mental side. And I said, what, what on the mental side have you learned about? And um, it ended up being, you know, really kind of deep conversation with Jaron about, you know, what this has been like for him. Obviously he's not performed to his standards. There are some really uh, public moments where that's happened, losing a ball in the twilight, losing a couple balls in the sun in Kansas city. Um, you know, base running mistakes and, and playing a premier position in center field. And if not getting booed, then, you know, hearing it uh, from fans and the media ripping him and all that stuff. And, you know, he, he opened up and we talked about all the different things that he's been through, you know, in the last couple months. Um, you know, some of the quotes, it's been pretty hard. I can't talk about too much of it, but I've been pretty low this year. It's been a struggle to stay here. I try so hard to please everybody so that when I hear people bad-mouthing me and there are home fans, I take it to heart. It's like, dang, I need to try harder because I'm just trying to make everybody happy. It's so hard. It's a game of failure. I just ask for forgiveness whenever I don't do what they ask me to do. I'm trying my best, and I just hope they know that. And finally, I don't really talk to my family about my low points because I'm so closed off to everybody. I'm kind of just tearing myself up internally and get pretty depressed and stuff like that. I find it hard to reach out to people because I don't want to bother other people with my problems. I just kind of build it up inside myself, which obviously makes everything a lot worse. And I think having this conversation and then talking to Rob Refsnyder and talking to Heim Bloom and some of the other people behind the scenes that I talked to and reporting this story, I think completely changed, you know, what I thought about Duran. You know, everybody says, everybody that I talk to, lack of effort is not an issue. He never loafs it. He's one of the first people to show up at Fenway. He is working his ass off over and over and over to be better. Um, you know, I think that he is, um, you know, just like, and I, I think that some of the coverage of, of how he's, um, he, he didn't think this way. And he said he thought it was all fair, but some of the coverage of his struggles, and that includes for me, has been, you know, too harsh at times. Um, and so, to me, I think this was just a really interesting thing where you can pull back the curtain, you know, see what a player is really going through, what a player is really feeling like, you know, how something is affecting them. Because at the end of the day, you know, we get so caught up in, you know, can we get off that snarky tweet? Can we get off that, um, you know, lead that, you know, insult somebody or something like that if a player is playing badly? And look, covering the struggles is a huge part of what we do and we have to, and we wouldn't be doing our jobs without it. But the, uh, you know, the seeing kind of the toll it's taken, I think to me really opened things up um, and really, you know, was, was impactful, you know, just on me as a writer. I hope that's what people take away from this story. Um, you know, I'm not sure if you've read it yet. I know we talked a lot about it through the process, but um, what are your thoughts on, on just a player opening up like this? Yeah, I think good for him. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. A lot of people don't think that he's trying when, you know, you, watch a ball in center field that goes past you and then you make, you know, some not great comments afterwards. Well, um, you know, I think he was just, you know, when I looked at that, I just thought like, you know, he's struggling. He's probably in shock. Like that happened and probably embarrassed, you know, there's mm -hmm. 
you know, that, that, that happened. And so like, I don't think it's, it's a lack of effort with him really never thought that it's just, you know, core looks at him as a guy that can be, you know, high on base percentage that can steal bases and he just needs to be able to, you know, um, figure it out offensively, you know, which pitches not to swing at which zones, which parts of the zone, you know, he's, he, his, his strengths, lay off even pitches in the strike zone that aren't his strengths and stuff like that and look for his pitch. And so he has the potential still. Um, but I also think, you know, <clears throat> he needs not to be so hard on himself either, you know, like, I mean, I, and I can definitely, you know, see where he's coming from being hard on himself, but, you know, good players, they, you know, they don't get too down. They don't get too up, you know, they're kind of even keeled and, and, you know, let things roll, whether they're struggling or not. And he had success when he came up this year, you know, it wasn't just all bad for him. And so, you know, not get too excited in that and not get too down when you're struggling. And I think he just needs to take that kind of approach going forward. I think that he's, you know, <clears throat> reading the quotes in your story, you know, he's putting too much pressure on himself and, mm-hmm. you know, understandable i would probably i'm the type of personality that would do the same if i was struggling yeah. in you know the majors <laughs> you know you put, you, pre- do, you put pressure on yourself in this job yes exactly i was just about to say that so like you know i understand but you know there there's a totally different dynamic too in in the majors and you can't like this 162 game season and you know you can't let what happened yesterday affect you today you know and so i think that he needs to cool down. I would, I would, you know, suggest, I, I haven't read the story. I read the quotes um, that you sent me. The story was just posted today. So I haven't mm-hmm. gotten to it yet, but you know, I would suggest talking in opening up to, you know, Ray Fuentes, the, yep. the mental skills coach, mm-hmm. other teammates, like, you know, people like would listen to him, um, right. you know, and I think that he is thoughtful in what he says. Uh, you know, I've always gotten that impression with, with Jaron, like, you know, some people, you know, Oh, you know, he, he, he's avoiding the media or whatever. I think he's just, you know, nervous about certain things and, right. you know, talking and expressing himself. And when he said some things in the past, they haven't, exactly come out as he as he meant them to come out and so like i i think he's a you know i think he's a good guy you know i think he's a good guy i think he's you know has potential but he needs to kind of just relax on himself and just play baseball yeah and you know that's what you know the red Sox have been saying for a while just let your skill set take over it's such a unique one the speed you know electrifying stuff you know get a bunt down or you know uh, steal or take a base on a pass ball, whatever it may be. You know, they've been talking about him playing his game for a while. And, and obviously I think, you know, part of this was he's not, you know, super comfortable as a rookie and a lot of rookies aren't, you know, a lot of rookies are, are, are nervous around, you know, the veterans and don't want to step on any, on any toes, but you know, what Heim Bloom said and what Alex Cora said and emphasized over the years is those kind of things are, um, kind of outdated now, you know, like everybody can fit in, everybody can speak up. You know, I think Raphael Devers like came in and was comfortable immediately in the clubhouse, obviously, you know, it wasn't probably the most boisterous one in there, you know, from day one, but you know, come in and, and, you know, just be yourself. And, and that's something I think they want Duran to do. Um, you know, the Red Sox, as I talked about with Heim Bloom for that piece, you know, have a, a very robust behavioral health department. Ray Fuentes is with the team. So any players that, 
you know, are kind of going through it and, and being hard on themselves. They are, you know, going to be, you know, really proactive and trying to help. We know the mental side of this game is, is as important, if not more important than the physical side, but you know, I just want to commend Jaron Duran on, on opening up, speaking up because it's not, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, when every word you say is heavily scrutinized, you know, obviously, you know, he's had some tough moments with the media. He acknowledged that he regrets that interview with sports center, um, in Houston a few weeks ago, um, which kind of went a little viral in Red Sox circles. So, um, it changed my perspective on him. I hope fans have that same takeaway because, you know, you, I don't think fans understand how closed off these guys are to media, right? Like we're in their space. We are, um, you know, kind of infringing on their space in their locker room, their clubhouse every day. You know, it's more like, usually it's like, all right, when can we get these people out of here? And so we can start preparing for the game. So for him to, you know, sit down with me for Rob Ref Snyder, sit down with me even longer for him to get on the phone and talk about an important issue. You know, I just thought it was, uh, an important story to tell. Um, and like I said, uh, a ton of respect for Jaron Duran and um, wish him the best. Yeah. It's actually oh. funny. Like, well, one more thing, like, you know, you, you would um, like, so you were talking about the Houston comments and I saw somebody, I'm not going to name them, but there's somebody that, that covers the team that like, you know, immediately said like, this is exactly the thing you don't want to say, like mm-hmm. tweeted out, this is exactly the thing you don't want to say. Like this is, um, you know, one uh, class. I think that you know, you know, uh, class one hundred one on you know not right. what not to say to the media. However, I don't really think he meant anything by it. Like you know, like when I when I saw that tweet, I'm like, you know what? I know it's not a great thing to say to the media, but, uh, you know. But also, you know, he doesn't have that much experience in knowing what flies and what doesn't in Boston, and he probably right. didn't mean anything by like you know. He's just like that doubt or wrong mentality, you know, instead mm-hmm. of like, you know, going at the fans. I don't think he was going at the fans. I right. think he was just and, uh, he, he you know, trying to express misinterpretation mis- too. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was just trying to go like, you know, like, you know, we're gonna prove, prove, prove the doubters wrong and stuff like that. And I, that's just the way he talks. And if you right. don't know the way that he talks, then it can be interpreted that way. So like, mm-hmm. yes, there has been some coverage that, you know, has not been easy. Uh, there's maybe not been fair. I'm not saying that tweet wasn't fair because it wasn't the right thing to say, mm-hmm. but like there wasn't, you know, there, there has been like, maybe we as reporters also could get to, you know, know him better and what he, what he means and, you know, ask him after, you know, he says something or something like, you know, what, <clears throat> you know, what did you, what did you mean by that? Or like stuff, you know, it's different things. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's a learning process for him. And, you know, I think that he, he doesn't mean <laughs> sometimes what he says in in the way that it sounds. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Rob Ref Snyder, a quote that I did not include in, in there, but one that I think was pretty good was, you know, he had Rob, who grew up in the Yankee system and was around a big media scrum from the beginning, said, you know, I learned at some point, there's not a clock on you when you, the media asks you a question, right? Like you don't have to respond immediately. You can take two or three seconds, collect your thoughts and try to get your words out. Right. And he was like, that's something that every rookie, every young player has to learn. I thought it was a great way of putting it. Um, you know, obviously there have been bumps, but Hey, there've been bumps for a lot of these guys, right? Like, I mean, Josh Winkowski hasn't said the right thing all the time. And I think in, you know, talking about Wrigley field or talking about some other things, like they're good comments. We appreciate the candor as media members, but, 
you know, in, in a business where you are told by your team and your teammates to say nothing, obviously, I think he said a little too much. It's just part of the process. Um, but yeah, if you uh, if you're at home, don't know what we're talking about, go check that out. It's uh, as of right now, the most recent piece up from the Mass Live Red Sox section. I'm sure in the next couple hours that'll change. But you know, Jaron Duran opening up on the mental stro- toll that these struggles this year have taken him. So check that out if you can. That's Chris Smith. I'm Chris Cotillo. This has been the Fenway Rundown. <laughs>